Life presents various issues with a multitude of solutions. Having issues is easy. Getting to the solutions is hard. If you're up for a good challenge, stay tuned and welcome to Qualified Issues. Welcome to episode three of season four. Season four, again, is all about wisdom and discernment, and this episode is focused on discernment. Dictionary.cambridge.org defines discernment as, quote, the ability to judge people and things well, unquote. Notice the use of the word ability. This relates to a skill. Therefore, it is something that can be learned. As well, this definition contains the word judge. For some people, that sounds very problematic. Well, let's look at that. It's defined on the same dictionary website um, as, quote, to form, give, or have as an opinion, or to decide about something or someone, especially after thinking carefully, unquote. We're going to call this our goal definition of discernment. When we look at this definition, notice it says, unquote, after thinking carefully, unquote. This is reflection, which we talked about in a previous episode. The definition of um, judge also, or discernment, sorry, also uses the term well, which is defined as, quote, in a good way to a high or satisfactory standard, unquote. So here we're talking about standards. Now, this can be tricky because some standards are subjective, and more and more we see added standards becoming um, acceptable as subjective as well. Now, I'll insert here that before you take on any standard in a subjective manner, meaning you are okay with it, therefore it should be okay with everyone, use wisdom as discussed in the last episode. We want good and high standards to fulfill the ability to judge well. Also, notice with the definition of judge that it talks about forming, giving, or just having an opinion about someone or something. This is the key to discernment. Your opinion, good or bad, of something or someone is your judgment. It is okay to have an opinion. When we talk about it being bad to judge someone or something, what we are really talking about is verbally bringing someone down with cruel or malicious intent. Those kinds of judgments are usually given without reflection, without full knowledge, and without wisdom. I would also add that the person judging in a cruel or malicious manner is also lacking in self-awareness and possibly empathy. Empathy does not mean that you have to agree with that person, but it helps to understand how that person might have ended up where they are today. Self-awareness in its fullest form can help us understand how we may come across to someone else. Empathy also helps us to ask how we would feel about what we are about to say if we were that other person on the receiving end. So you can see that self-awareness and empathy really force you to raise the bar in terms of how you verbally interact with other people. This is somewhat evident in a second definition of of, of the word judge. Quote, a person who has the knowledge to give an opinion about something or is able to decide if someone is or something is good or bad, unquote. This is the kind of judging we should generally steer clear of. When I talk to clients about control, I remind them that they only have control over themselves. 
this definition talks about someone with knowledge. So how well do you know the person you are deciding is good or bad? How much do you know about that something that you are deciding is good or bad? Have you done some research? Have you read reviews or talked to other people who have interacted with that individual or item? If the answer is no, then you are probably not in a good place to decide if that person or item is good or bad. Now, the reason I say we should generally steer clear of um, of that definition is it kind of puts us in a position to either humble ourselves and say, you know, I don't know as much as as I think I do about this person or item. Or if we have a lot of hubris, a lot of pride and ego, we might say, oh, I am an expert. I am totally knowledgeable about this person or this item. And without self-awareness, that really can lead us down a rabbit hole of, um, well, I had one bad interaction with this person or I had one bad experience with this item, therefore it's bad. And so that definition can kind of, it leaves out the the idea of bias and subjectivity. And when we're working towards a positive version of judgment, a positive version of, of giving an opinion of discernment, we want to be self-aware enough to know whether or not our bias is getting in the way. Okay, so let's go back to what we call the goal definition of judge. We are all different and unique. Our lives are different and unique. Therefore, our perspectives will be unique as well. Perspective is an important part of opinion. It informs our opinion. It is okay for someone to state what they think, what they know for fact, how they feel and judge through that opinion. If they consider someone or something to be quote unquote good or bad. Okay. So now we have a full view of what discernment is. We meet someone or see something. We may or may not have experience or knowledge related to that person or item. Our perspective may be positive or negative. Someone asks us what we think about that person or item. We provide a judgment based on our unique perspective, again, which includes experiences and knowledge. And that perspective will come out in the form of an opinion. For example, if I have an old friend who I parted ways with, and someone asks me what I think about that person, then I will offer my judgment, my opinion, based on my experience and knowledge about that person. If that person was unkind to me, my judgment will most likely be more negative in nature. If that person was kind and we just lost contact, I will probably have a positive judgment. Again, it's very important, though, to make sure that your bias, um, based off of the experience, is not included in that opinion. Now, good or bad, either one is okay. Now, as a listener, maybe even the person who asked the question, you have to decide if you're going to base your judgments about the person on my answer. If you are going to create your own experiences with the person and make your own judgments. Okay, so there's two different things here. If you ask me about this person or this item and I give you my judgment, my opinion, you have to ask yourself, are you just going to take that um, blindly? You're just going to believe that blindly? Or are you going to create your own experiences with that person or item and make your own judgments? Again, either way is okay. It's definitely up to you what you're going to do when somebody offers their opinion. Now, while discernment can exist in the form as providing a judgment or opinion about someone or something, it also exists in the context of making decisions. I touched on this briefly in the first episode of this season, but I'll provide a few examples here, here um, as well. So 
Example one, a friend has offered to pay for a movie that you both can go see together. Historically, this friend has no money at the last minute and you end up having to pay. You have talked to this friend about the issues, but nothing has changed. What do you do? You may not want to lose the friendship. The possibility of losing this friendship may be cause enough um, for you to just accept and be prepared to pay for the movie. Is that a good judgment? Well, let's look at it with a little bit more depth. If this friend is a true friend and you see he or she is basically lying to you about paying, then it may take an answer of no thank you for the friend to start realizing that his or her behavior is not okay. It's not acceptable. You may have to say no several times. You may have to have another conversation with that friend. But if you continue to allow the behavior, what message are you sending? First, you are telling your friend that his or her behavior is acceptable. Secondly, you are also telling your friend how to treat you. It's like saying, hey, no problem. I will always cover the movie expense. It is okay if you lie to me. I have zero problem with that. If this is a behavior the friend does with other people in his or her life, then you are enabling this person to continue to use people to cover movie expenses, to lie. There's no compassion in that choice. There's no true help. So we have the situation. We have experiential history with this friend. We have knowledge of our choices in this situation. Basically, we have reflected. We have thought carefully. All right. The next example. You have been told by your doctor you need to lose weight for your health. You are tired, have had a stressful day at work, and just want something quick and easy, but also tasty for dinner. There's a fast food place right on the way home. What do you do? We all know that fast food is not healthy. Cooking at home with fresh fruit is best. Uh, you know that fast food will not help you lose weight, and it will not be healthy for you. You, you might hear your doctor's voice in your head saying, you need to lose weight for your health. You know yourself, and you know that if you take the quick and easy way this time, you're more likely to do it again, and that would cause a buildup of fast food dinners, which would decrease your health as your weight increases. Again, we have the situation. You know what you have been told by the doctor. You know yourself and your habit-forming behaviors and tendencies. You have knowledge of where your eating habits will lead you one way or another. Now that you have reflected, you are ready to make your choice. So these are just some general examples of discernment in action. I am sure you can think of many more. As life is constantly offering us choices and opportunities wherein we can use discernment. So let's look at what some other people have to say about discernment. Dr. Raj Raghunathan wrote an article on psychologytoday.com in May of 2011 called Don't Be Judgmental, Be Discerning. In this article, he talks about a friend who, as he puts it, quote, in her desire to be non-judgmental, Pia has lost the ability to be discerning, unquote. He defines discernment as, quote, the ability to notice objective differences among stimuli, activities, people, objects, etc., along relevant dimensions, unquote. Related to judgment, he states, quote, a judgmental person is precisely the kind to go beyond discerning differences in people's abilities to make inferences, which is like guesses, about their overall worthiness, unquote. This sounds like the definition of the word judge that we talked about avoiding earlier in this podcast. The author also states, quote, to a judgmental person, a bad singer is inferior, not just on the dimension of singing, but is inferior in the more fundamental dimension of being human as well, unquote. Ah, 
there it is, the cruel and malicious intent on verbally bringing a person down. So if we go back to what he said about judgment, um, quote, uh, going beyond discern, sorry, quote, beyond discerning differences in people's abilities to make inferences about their overall worthiness, unquote. So that's an excellent example uh, that he gave too about, you know, the singer, bad singer is now inferior, right? We've taken what we've noticed, what we can objectively view through our five senses, uh, maybe even what we know about that person, and we have decided that we are better than that person. That person is uh, not a good person. And there's this subjectiveness, there's this subjective nature about that kind of judgment. And so again, that second definition of judge that I read earlier, the reason again why I say to generally steer clear of it is because it is so easy for us to negatively um, and maliciously use judgment uh, when we want to feel better about ourselves or if that person has hurt us. So be very, very careful when you are forming um, a judgment, when you are using discernment. So what can we glean from this brief look at this article? Typically, when we hear someone use the word judgmental about someone else, he or she is seeing that person as tearing someone down with ill intent. It is their own judgment. It is their opinion, perhaps. It may be based on their perspective. Just a few things that are important to remember. So here's another great article called Why Judging Others is Our Natural Instinct, Harvard Psychologist Explains. This was written in February 2019 by Francesca Forsythe. The author cites Amy Cuddy as, quote, an expert in first impressions, unquote, who the author includes in the following quote. She says, quote, Cuddy points out that what seems to be a split second judgment of someone is actually you asking yourself two things. One, can I trust this person? Two, should I respect this person? Unquote. These are great questions to ask ourselves. Can I trust this person? Well, that depends on a lot of factors that are informed by past experiences, as well as the visual sensory input we are receiving in that split second. Trust is a big deal, and it should be. When, when we trust, we open ourselves up in the most vulnerable ways. So again, can I trust this person? Very, very important question. The second question was, should I respect this person? Again, a really important question. The answer, again, depends on past experiences, but also on your perspective of respect, whether it is deserved or earned, and what respect means and looks like to you. Again, remember, we are all highly unique, so answers to these questions are going to differ just naturally. And culturally, there are differences in the expression of respect and even a little bit of tweaking in the meaning of respect. So it's really important to use that empathy, use that self-awareness when communicating any kind of discernment with other people. The author goes on to talk about ways we judge others. So I, I love this. I love that there's a list. I'm a big list person. So let's look at these. The main points here, by the way, they're all quoted from the article. Number one. Judging others um, on appearance. This is so easy to do, right? Why is that? Probably because many of our interactions with other people involve visual sensory input, which feed information to our brains, and our brains hold these memories of past experiences, and boom, we have a judgment. 
The author talks about how media in all its forms tell us what certain people look like, and I agree to a certain extent. However, our interactions with certain people in our past, I believe, holds more value in those visual snap judgments. That's my opinion. I believe this is due to the importance of our actual relationships in life versus what we see in media. The second one is judging others on sociability. As the author points out, this is a tricky judgment. She points out that an individual's behavior will be weighed heavily in our judgment. However, someone who is extroverted may have behavior that looks similar to negative behavior and that they may be very talkative as someone who might con people maybe as well. Someone who is introverted or shy may be quiet and observing just as someone who is looking for a victim maybe as well. In this area, discernment is an absolute must if for no other reason than safety. But using knowledge of that individual, observation of his or her behavior, and maybe input from those who know the individual would help build your knowledge base and make your discernment better informed. All right, the third way we judge people, judging others on morality. In this section, the author states, quote, we tend to keep track of the poor moral judgments people make and can hold these for longer than necessary, unquote. Morality is a contentious topic for sure. I lean to the phrase, quote, judge the sin, not the sinner, unquote. I like that saying because it helps us look at the why of the behavior instead of blatantly and maybe inappropriately slapping a label on that individual. This does not mean we have to be in relationship with someone whose possible immoral behavior is harmful to other people, but it does help us to have a more compassionate heart. The next article written by the Power of Positivity staff on powerofpositivity.com in August of 2018 is called How Being Judgmental Can Be Good for Personal Growth. Phew. Pay attention to this information because I feel like it's going to be a head scratcher and very thought provoking. So here we go. This list quoted from the article. Number one, being judgmental can be suitable for setting goals. This section basically talks about judging things in a fact-based manner. For example, quote, you wouldn't say that you are bad at playing guitar. Instead, you would say that you are a beginner level or that you need specific development on specific skills, end quote. This really aligns well with setting goals to make changes, develop skills, attain talent, etc. Number two, being judgmental can be suitable for aligning with your values. If any of you have taken the time to listen to uh, From Borderline to Beautiful podcast by Rose Skeeters, then you have heard her talk about core values or morals. The goal is to use those to help remind yourself of how you should direct your behavioral choices. This is the gist of this section in the article. The author states, quote, these types of judgments help us to be the type of person of people that we want to become, unquote. This is not about judging in a harsh way towards others to make yourself look or feel better than other people. This is about judging behaviors and situations that you have a choice to engage in and using discernment to choose if they align with your personal values and morals. All right, number three, being judgmental can be suitable for guiding actions of those around us. Now, before you say, oh, that sounds like control and we're going to be controlling other people. No, no, no. This section speaks strongly to boundaries. We are judging that someone's behavior is unacceptable to us. 
it is harmful to us. Or maybe those things are harmful to other people. We are going to let them know with love in our tone, but firmness in our request that we will not tolerate those things. As the author suggests, quote, being judgmental in this way means being able to say, I like you. I don't like that specific behavior, unquote. Number four, being judgmental can be good for our self-esteem. The author sums it up perfectly by stating, quote, by keeping a frame of reference that allows us to focus on the positives about our faults, we forgive ourselves for the bad because we know that we are constantly striving for the good, unquote. Now, of course, you have to actually be striving for good to use this as a truthful and honest statement of self-talk. I encourage you to always use your external appraisal people to help you be accountable for quote-unquote striving for the good. All right, the last one, being judgmental can be suitable for making positive social choices. Author says, quote, developing good judgment is different from being critical, unquote. This is similar to good discernment versus ill-intent judgments. The author cites a great study as well, quote, According to the Journal of Research and Personality, people who are better at judging people with similar personalities have several positive social outcomes. People feel greater interpersonal control, interpersonal support, and positive emotions like happiness, and had higher life satisfaction than those who had a more difficult time with this skill, unquote. So we are talking about relationships. Being able to see the positive and negative, the good, bad, and the ugly in someone, including ourselves, being able to discern the benefits and negative outcomes of being in that friendship or intimate relationship. So I want to move on from understanding the difference between discernment and harsh judgment, the benefits of judgment as defined as discernment, to an article titled The Elements of Good Judgment by Sir Andrew Lickerman in February of 2020. This article can be found at hbr.org. HBR stands for Harvard Business Review. While this is a business article, it is also applicable in many ways to your everyday relationships. So the author cites Noelle Tishi and Warren Bennis from their article called Judgment, How Winning Leaders Make Great Calls. The cited article states that, quote, judgment is the core of exemplary leadership, unquote. Isn't that true? What are you the leader of in your life? Your group of friends? A religious group? Are you a parent? We are all leaders as we lead ourselves through our own lives. Therefore, your judgment is needed and depended upon by you and others in your life where you are a leader. The author stated he has talked with many in the business world and found, quote, that leaders with good judgment tend to be good listeners and readers, able to hear what other people actually mean and thus able to see patterns that others do not. They have a breadth of experiences and relationships that enable them to recognize parallels or analogies that others miss. And if they don't know something, they'll know someone who does and lean on that person's judgment. They can recognize their own emotions and biases and take them out of the equation. They're adept at expanding the array of choices under consideration. Finally, they remain grounded in the real world, and making a choice, they also consider its implementation, end quote. That is a mouthful. There is so much real-world application and truth in that chunk, so I'm going to break this down. Number one, good leaders listen. 
This can be hard sometimes, especially when you feel your words are more important, have more meaning, or you feel you are more right. Number two, good leaders can read one or more people. This means they can interpret body language and so much more, so much more. Good leaders can, quote, hear what other people actually mean, unquote. I mean, let's face it, not everyone means what they say or say what they mean. Sometimes you have to read between the lines. Sometimes you have to dig a little deeper, maybe ask a few more questions. Number four, good leaders have a lot of experiences in various parts of life. This really speaks to what I talked about in season one about self-awareness. You want to know yourself, but in working towards that goal, you end up learning a lot about other people as well. It is important to open yourself up to new challenges and positive opportunities, even if they seem difficult. You never know what you could learn about yourself, others, and the world. Number five, good leaders have a lot of relationships in their lives. This does not imply that good leaders have a hefty dating life, though dating relationships could be part of that as well. It means they have met a lot of people and had various relationships with those people. It could be a friendship, acquaintance, family member, current or ex-spouse, children, youth group, support group, religious affiliation members, etc. Number six, good leaders have humility. These people are not afraid to say, I don't know. They are not afraid to allow someone else to be smarter than they are at something. Number seven, good leaders have self-awareness. They know what they are feeling and why. They recognize their own biases. They work towards being neutral and objective when working a problem and finding a solution or reaching a goal. Number eight, good leaders are creative. They look at possible solutions and are flexible in considering them under new and different lights. For example, if I ask the kids what they want for lunch and they say PB&J, I can stretch that out and maybe use a cookie cutter to make them in the shape of a star. I can offer various flavors of jelly. Maybe I can make some double-decker sandwiches. Creativity. Thinking creative as well is very important. Number nine, good leaders are objective. They may have their own ideas and opinions. They may be in a place to make any choice they want, but a good leader will be objective when considering a solution to make sure it is the best possible solution for everyone involved. They will be objective in how implementing that solution will affect everyone involved. So this whole list shows how judgments are needed in everyday life, especially as a leader of anything. There is so much more great information in this article and just not enough time to work through all of it. So I encourage you, the listener, to give it a read. It, it really has some awesome information. The final article I want to share is called Notes on Good Judgment and How to Develop It by Benjamin Todd in September 2020 on a site called 80,000hours.org. That's 80,000 hours. The author cites a 2020 EA Leaders Forum survey where, quote, respondents were asked which traits they would most like to see in a new community member over the next five years, unquote. Looking at the table of the survey information, these are some of the results, and they have a number value next to it. The higher the number, the more members voted for it. And I'm going to do these from least to greatest. So number one, creativity. That had a 3.1. Ambition, 3.3. Grit and work ethic, 3.6. Emotional intelligence slash social skills, 4.3. Honesty slash transparency, 4.4. Altruism slash prioritizing the common good, 4.6. Independent thinking, developing one's own views. That was a five. 
entrepreneurial mindset, being able to make things happen independently, that was a five. Analytical intelligence, that was given a 5.1. And finally, good judgment, weighting complex information and reaching calibrated conclusions. That was given a whopping 5.8. So that is an amazing list because as you can hear, basic traits and skills such as creativity, ambition, work ethic were low. These are things every worker at any job needs to have. Remember, this is a leader's forum providing these answers. Notice the next chunk of answers are focused on personal characteristics. I have alluded to this in the episode about personality in season two, which was about perspective. So we have moved from your basic worker characteristics to important characteristics as an individual. This last chunk, though, thinking about the last article we went through, is highly focused on leadership positions, being able to make things happen on your own, being analytical. And what was the number one thing this group of leaders asked for? Good judgment. Now, the author defines this a little different from the definition we have been using throughout this episode, but it still translates into everyday life. So while this article is business-related, the author provides valuable abilities of someone he considers having good judgment. These are all quoted from the article. Number one, focus on the right questions. If you have kids, you probably understand what the author is talking about here. For example, a child may ask, are we going to have dessert during dinner? In our house, you need to eat all of your food, or most of it at least, to get dessert. We don't have dessert every night. This question may be followed up with, do I need to eat all of my food? So which is the right question? Obviously, the second one, this is a child who wants to know how much to eat to get a possible dessert we may be having after dinner, okay? It is really important to look beyond the question sometimes to find the right question. What is the person really asking you? Number two, when answering those questions, synthesize many forms of weak evidence using good heretics and weigh the evidence appropriately. So I admit, I had to look up the word heretics, or wait. Heuristics. The definition of heuristics is, quote, a way of solving problems by discovering things yourself and learning from your own experiences, unquote. So the author is stating that someone with good judgment, aka discernment, uses their own evidence based on their own experiences to create an appropriate answer after reflecting on those experiential evidences. It is basically taking your experiences and knowledge reflecting on that information, and then discerning what is the best answer. Number three, be resistant to common cognitive biases by having good habits of thinking. While the author does not go into detail about his meaning of quote-unquote good habits of thinking, I think it falls in line with critical thinking. Basically being able to look at something from all angles and views, and then using wisdom to discern the current and or appropriate answer. Number four, come to a well, come to well calibrated conclusions. To me, this just speaks of using all the previous mentioned tools that so that your conclusions are well calibrated. Think of a well calibrated machine. All the parts are working. Maybe they have all been inspected. Everything about the machine has been analyzed and all of that combined is what makes it work. So how do you get or improve discernment? So number one, go back and listen, re-listen to the podcast if you need to, take some notes. What things do you do? 
What things do you need to start doing? What do you do well? What could you improve on? How self-aware and mindful are you? Do you need to improve in those areas as well? Self-awareness and mindfulness play a huge part in deciphering your level of discernment. Is there something in your past that creates a bias in your head? Are you able to get past that or do you need help with that issue? If so, if you need help, I highly recommend you search for a licensed mental health provider in your area. Above all, practice makes quote-unquote perfect. Okay, it won't make you perfect, but it will help you improve. Maybe ask a good friend to present you with past situations where he or she felt your discernment was lacking and then work through that situation until you feel your discernment has improved. Do research on discernment as well. There is never enough time in a podcast to present every piece of beneficial information on one topic. Overall, discernment is a way we positively and beneficially use judgment to make everyday decisions, as well as big and super important decisions. It goes hand in hand with wisdom. It is something you can get and improve on. And it is something you need throughout your entire life. So take a moment and really think about your own discernment. Thank you so much for listening. If you have a moment, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at fortheloveoftherapy at gmail.com. That's fortheloveoftherapy at gmail.com. Please remember a podcast is never a substitute for therapy with a licensed mental health provider. I am Carissa Galloway. This has been Qualified Issues, and I hope you'll join me next time.